Yep, I'm kicking off the series. I don't know if I've ever done this before, but you know what? Because of that, let's pray before we start. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, it is good to be in your presence today. It is good to be uh, together, both here in the room and online. And Lord, um, I'm already super duper convicted um, by what you've said to me as I've prepped for this message. And so, Lord, I'm just praying um, very specifically for each person that is listening um, that you, I know you have something very specific and unique to say to each one of them, and I just pray that their hearts are ready to hear what you have to say to them. Um, even if it's, if it's difficult to hear, Lord, I just pray that they are, are ready to receive um, what the Spirit needs to say today. And Lord, I, I do pray um, that I would just get out of the way um, so that you can work. Um, I get in the way a lot, so I, I pray that you would just take me out of the way and um, just speak in and through me. So I lift this time to you. May you get the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to start this series by asking you some questions. All right, a little self-assessment here. Have you had a difficult conversation in the last week? Have you had an awkward or tense text, text exchange with someone in the last week? Have you left a meeting or an encounter where you felt belittled, overlooked, or misunderstood in the last week? Have you had an unhealthy argument with a family member or a close friend in the last week? Have you walked away from a conversation wishing it had gone differently in the last week? Have you seen someone you care about post something on social media that you vehemently disagreed with in the last week? Have you posted anything or reposted something on social media that is hateful or divisive in the last week? Have you regretted something you've said in the last week? Have you regretted the way you've said something in the last week? Have you lashed out in anger in the last week? Have you talked behind someone's back in the last week? Have you avoided someone so that you don't have to have a difficult conversation with them in the last week? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, then I think that this series that we are starting today is going to be a good one for you. We're beginning a four-week series today called Speak Life exploring the power of our words. And I feel like this is a really important topic in the world that we live in today, where speech and the way people talk and the things that they say can be so divisive. In a world where having real, healthy, authentic, sometimes difficult conversations just doesn't happen very much anymore. It is a dying art form, and as we're going to discover as we dig deeper, it truly is an art form. People don't want to talk to each other anymore, especially when the stakes are high. And many people take the easy way out by either talking behind someone's back instead of talking to them, or just avoiding them in the conversation altogether. Real person, in-person conversations they don't happen as much or as often as they used to. And I'm talking about all of us. I mean, boomers and, and Gen X and, and millennials, we, we all are having trouble having these conversations. But Gen Z, I love you. I love you. My children are you. But sometimes you all struggle to have a conversation, let alone a crucial conversation. Research shows that Gen Z averages nine hours a day looking at a screen. 
and at least four of those are on social media. And let me tell you, you cannot have crucial conversations, healthy conversations, any kind of conversation on your device or on social media. Most of us want to avoid the hard conversations. And when, and when we find there's no avoiding them, then we handle them poorly, getting defensive, lashing out, leveling it up to a screaming match, patronizing, condescending. We either have no conversation or we have the wrong conversation. So yeah, a series like this is important, not just because we need to engage in real conversation, but because we need to do it in a healthy, loving, constructive, and intentional way. Because if you claim to follow Jesus, if you tell the world that you have surrendered to him and you're going to pattern your life after him, then what you communicate and how you communicate it is crucial to the way people around you view Jesus. You are a representative of Jesus. Your words and how you use them are a window to your heart and in turn, a window to the heart of God because you are representing him to the world around you. And this is not new. It doesn't just apply to us. How we use our words, the tendency to gossip and be malicious or slanderous or, or hateful with our speech, it's been around for a long time. And the scriptures have a lot to say about it. They talk about when we communicate and how extremely important it is. And we're, we're going to spend most of our time the next four weeks in the book of James and the book of Proverbs to see what the scriptures have to say about our words and how we use them. I would say these two books of the Bible, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, are really practical books giving you very practical nuggets to utilize and implement, implement in your own life. Proverbs is one of the books that is considered wisdom literature. King Solomon wrote thousands of proverbs and poetry, and while not every proverb in this book was written by Solomon, Solomon himself, his influence is throughout. And a proverb is a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom. And each proverb is just a little nugget of wisdom that you can pull out. And the middle of Proverbs is full of these sayings. The book is designed to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And the book of James, which I, I think could also be considered wisdom literature, is considered a letter, and it's written by Jesus' half-brother. The goal in this book is to challenge, like Proverbs, how you live. And James has immersed himself uh, in the teachings of Jesus, of course, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been heavily influenced by the book of Proverbs. In this book, I love how the Bible Project describes this book. They describe it as a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those that want to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what it is. And I would, I would say, uh, if you have time to watch the Bible Project videos on Proverbs and James, they are 
fantastic and they would be a lot for you to think about as we're in this series. So we take the, the words from Proverbs and James to heart, these two books. If we take these to heart, they're going to help guide us to a better place and how we interact with the world around us. We're also, I'm also using a, a companion piece with this, Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. And actually, I'm hosting a book club. I'm so excited here at Grace. No one here is excited about it. I got, I got, I got two people to clap last time and I've got a few that are excited about it. Anyway, August 30th, seven o'clock at The Leaf, our cafe, we're gonna have a book club. We're gonna read the whole book and just come together that night and talk about it. And yes, this is for, for both um, women and men. Uh, somebody told me that their husband leaned over last hour and said, oh, can men come too? Yes. Yes, I would love to have you there. So we're gonna have this book club on the 30th, seven o'clock. You can get the book at The Leaf today um, or you can order it on Amazon and we're gonna talk about it. It's a great companion piece. But for today, we're gonna be flipping back and forth between James and Proverbs. So James, just go ahead and go to the first page, uh, 1019 in your house Bibles. Um, and welcome to those of you that are with us online. So glad you're here. And then Proverbs is going to be on page 525 of the House Bible. So if you want to like make a marker in either of those, then we can just flip back and forth from the two. So we're first going to look at what the scriptures have to say. And then we're going to talk about some practical ways to use the words that the scriptures are giving us, the advice that they're giving us. So we're going to start in James 1, verse 26. So if you, you should be right on that page, James 1, verse 26. Here's what he has to say. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Yeah, that, there's that gut punch. In the previous verses, James emphasized that those who trust God actually do what his word says they should do. In verse 26, James gets specific about what that means to obey this freedom-giving law. Controlling your tongue here, watching what you say and how you say it and when you say it, is using the fruit of self-control. The same self-control that you would use to control your anger, which James has just talked about in verses 19 through 20. If you say you love Jesus and then you turn around and destroy someone with your words, then the question might be, do you really love Jesus? Everything even for James, comes back to those two great commandments. Love the Lord God with all your, your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He wants to move us toward wholeness, a life where your actions and your words are integrated with the teachings of Jesus. That's what he means when he uses the word religion and religious in this scripture. He is talking about lives fully integrated with the teachings of Jesus. That is a religious person according to James. Lives fully integrated with the teachings of Jesus. And the way you use your mouth is a picture of that life. James continues this, this thought in James 3. If you'll turn to James 3 now, verses 2 through 6, James says this, Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be per perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Those are strong words. This tiny muscle in our, in our body is maybe the most important and shows where our heart is more than any other part of our body. A small bit in the mouth controls a strong horse. Let's look at a picture. Here's a picture of a bit. It's that little round thing right there. That little tiny bit controls where that horse goes. It leads that horse, that big animal, that little bit controls where it goes. A small rudder turns a large ship. The small rudder moves that entire enormous ship and moves it in the direction that it is supposed to go. If we have control over our tongue, it is an indication that we have control over our lives. We have control over ourselves. The bit and the rudder are small, but extremely important. If they're not in control, the entire horse is out of control. The entire ship is out of control. It is possible for something as small as the tongue to have tremendous power for either good or evil. And we have seen that all around us, haven't we? When people use words to destroy others and when people use words to uplift and make people feel better. My friend Abby often says, is that kind, loving, and encouraging? And I think that that is so true if we would just think that every time we open our mouth. So if, if our tongue is like this bit in this rudder, then I guess that leaves the question, who or what holds the reins? Or who or what directs the rudder in your life? The reins in your life. Who has control of your tongue? Some people have no control. They have no control on the reins or the rudder. And therefore, they say whatever comes to their mind. James points us toward having the Spirit of God working in and through us so that we can control the reins and the rudder of our tongue, our words. Look at verse 5. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. In the first two illustrations, the animal and the ship are controlled by small objects. In this last illustration, a huge forest is destroyed by a tiny spark. The tongue, your words, can either be in control or they can be unruly. They can either restore or they can destroy. They can either bring life or they can bring death to the people around you. Can you, think, can you think of a time, and I can think of many, when somebody's words destroyed you? They took you down. And then in turn, can you think of a time when someone's words brought life to you? You walked away, even if it was corrective, even if it was a hard conversation where they were saying some hard things, you still walked away feeling seen, 
and built up and like life had been given to you. Don't you want to be the latter? Are you going to control the rudder of your ship and continue sailing? Or are you going to let that ship slam into the world around you? These words in James, they, they echo many of the Proverbs because, of course, he was immersed in the Proverbs. And the Proverbs have a lot to say on this topic as well. Little wisdom nuggets. Look at Proverbs, flip, flip over there to 10 verses 19 through 21. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Those are heavy words too. Or look at 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Your words, what you say, how you say them, there are consequences. You can help or hurt. And let me tell you, I know this is going to be surprising. I love to talk. I really do. I like talking a lot. I'm not the best listener sometimes. And there are many of you out there. It's okay. You can love to talk. We need talkers in this world. And we need listeners in this world. But let me tell you, we need to be way more thoughtful and intentional with the words that we use, those of us that love to talk, because they have consequences. Don't you want your words to encourage rather than punish? Don't you want your words to be fruitful rather than worthless? Don't you want your words to bring about wholeness and healing rather than bring, bring about ruin and wreckage? Your words matter. They matter. And you need to think about that before you speak. And there are times, those of us that love to talk, where no words are actually the best option. Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Silence can be a gift sometimes. Sometimes you need to know when not to speak. What we're talking about in this series is really important, and I think it is something that we overlook. It's something that I have overlooked a lot. What we communicate and how we communicate it is critical and crucial in the way people around you view Jesus. I almost think that communication should be added as a spiritual discipline because we should be way more disciplined in our approach. It should feel like work to communicate well and in a godly way. We should choose wisely. Our communication should be thoughtful and intentional. All of our words matter. The way we say everything, the way we communicate both verbally and non-verbally, they matter. The world is watching us. They're watching us. They're listening to us. And they're trying to find Jesus somewhere in there. But when we engage in those crucial conversations, that is the true test of our communication integrity. And crucial conversations are happening all the time. 
I don't know if you always recognize that you're in one, but they are happening all, I, I have at least one a day, sometimes 20. It's not because I'm a problem, it's just there's a lot of crucial conversations going on. Remember the questions I asked at the beginning of the message? Those are all types of crucial conversations that you should be having. There, the book, Crucial Conversations, and much of, of this next part is going to be coming from that book, it defines a crucial conversation as this. A conversation between two or more people in which they hold opposing opinions. Huh, no one holds opposing opinions, do they? No. Huh. Okay, they hold, hold opposing opinions about high-stakes issues and where emotions run strong. Sound like any conversations you've had lately or not had because you don't want to? This book has been, along with the scripture, has been convicting me in deep ways. Opinions vary, stakes are high, emotions run strong. These are crucial conversations and they are swirling around us. And we need to be intentional and thoughtful about the way we, we uh, enter into them. So I want to take a break and give you a few examples of crucial conversations. And what better way to do that than through drama? It's back, everybody. It's back. I'm just kidding. It's not back. And I'm going to invite my friend, Jeff Unruh, up here, the OGs of the drama team. Um, and we're going to play out a few scenarios of what crucial conversations you might see in your own life or just examples of what they could be. Are you ready, Jeff? Yes. All right. Scene one. This is a married couple. Hey, when did you get home? About 15 minutes ago, and I was finishing up a call in the car. I see. Uh, everything okay? Not really. This isn't working for me anymore. I guess we need to talk. And you're in a crucial, crucial conversation. Conver conversation. <laughs> All right. Scene two. We're colleagues at work. Amy, I'm glad I caught you. Oh, yeah. What's up? I just need to talk about that appointment you had with the tailors the other day. Oh, uh -huh. um, yeah, you know what? I'm on my way to another meeting, so I'm gonna... Yeah, there were, just, there were a few issues that came up and we need to talk through them. Can we get something on the calendar? Sure. And scene, you're in a crucial conversation or you're setting up for one. All right, scene three. Uh, these are just two friends. Uh, I am so sick of these political ads. Me too. They are totally exhausting. I, I can't wait for the whole election thing just to be over. Oh, you are so right. Me either. I wanted to be done. By the way, uh, who are you going to vote for? Crucial conversation. Or not. Thank you. We're not done yet. Um, one more. One more. Um, one more. And now we are father and daughter. <laughs> Humor me. <laughs> Humor me. Um, hey, Dad, I, I, um, I need to talk to you. What is it, sweetie? Well, um, I have some big news. I have decided to major in theater. <laughs> Crucial conversation. Thank you, Jeff. So those are a few examples of some crucial conversations. What do they have in common? Opinions are varying, 
Okay, how are, who, who are we voting for? We're very opinionated, I don't know. Stakes are high. This is what she's gonna major in for four years. This is what we're paying for. And emotions are strong. You've got to a couple that emotions are gonna be all over the place because things aren't going well. And these kinds of conversations are swirling around us all day, every day. We can't avoid them. Some of them are planned, like setting up a meeting with your colleague to talk through some not so easy situations. And some come out of the blue, like a hard conversation with your spouse or your kid or a good friend. And how we handle them is important. How we handle them is a reflection of our character and in turn, a reflection of the character of God because we claim to follow him. Your words and how you use them are a window to your heart and in turn to God's heart. They're looking to you to understand the heart of God. You can handle them in three different ways. You can avoid them. You can handle them and do it poorly, or you can handle them and face it and do it well. You know why we handle them poorly or we, or we avoid them altogether? We're designed this way. We are poised for fight or flight, not sit and listen and speak. When we're talking about things that are important to us and our emotions are high and we care deeply about them, when someone disagrees, that feels like a threat. And our bodies respond to it like a threat. That's our natural instinct. We wanna fight or we wanna leave. And fighting is destructive, remember James 3, 5? But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. When you use fighting words, you set a destructive fire. And fleeing is cowardly and counterproductive. You don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping him in the barn or the problem of a hard to steer ship by keeping it tied to the dock. Running away, avoiding the hard, talking about them instead of to them, ghosting them is not the answer when it comes to a hard conversation. And when you flee, when you, when you avoid it, then you start writing a story. You start writing a story about them in your head. And then they become that person that you've written. And then you start treating them differently. Fight or flight is not the approach that God wants us to take. Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the ch church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Don't give up. Stay in it. Stay in the room. Keep pursuing. Keep striving for restoration, even when it feels exhausting or overwhelming or not what you want to do. Most of what God expects of us, what he wants for us, what he wants from us doesn't feel natural or instinctual. It feels counter to who we are because it is. He's counter-cultural. It's opposed to what we humans want. He wants us to stay and listen and speak in healthy and loving and kind ways. This fight or flight thing really convicted me in a big way, especially when it comes to my kids. 
They are the four most important beings in my world. I feel so passionately about them and their lives and where they're headed, and I know best, I think. So when we hit a crucial conversation, I can level up so quickly. I can start into the yelling and, or if that doesn't work, I shut down. Oh, fine, then I'm just not talking about it. We're done, we're done, we're done. Have you heard that before? Yeah. It's not a good way to end a conversation. I care so much about them that I can use these really dangerous and destructive tactics when I'm communicating with them, and it's not good. We're all under pressure and stress. I get it. And most crucial conversations don't get put on our calendars like the one example. Sometimes they do. Many of them come up in the moment, and that's why we have to be prepared. You prepare before that moment. You center yourself in Scripture and prayer. You invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to be in that moment so that you can maneuver the surprise moments. 70% of the success of a crucial conversation happens in your head, not through your mouth. What you do before you open your mouth. What are your motives in this conversation? What is your goal? What do you want from this conversation? Restored relationship? Better circumstances? Shared experience? What do I want for myself? for the other, and for this relationship. You can ask those three questions anytime you are in a crucial conversation and keep circling back to them as you're in that conversation. Is your motive, is your goal pure and healthy, kind and moving forward, and other-centered? That does not mean that the other is always right, but it does mean that you are working for wholeness for all of you, for you, them, and others us, the relationship. Yeah, it might be a constructive conversation where you have to even discipline them, but your motive should be for health and wholeness and healing. Change begins with our hearts. Our bias is the opposite. We always want to change the other person. That seems way easier, but you, you can't do it. You have to start with you. Prepare your own heart before you go into that conversation or prepare it in the midst. Cry out to the Holy Spirit as you're talking. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge where your weaknesses is, is and what you're bringing to this crucial conversation. It's not about me is one of our values and it's a great one. But in a crucial conversation, when you're getting prepared, it is all about you. It is all about you owning your own stuff before you enter into that conversation with that person. It's about you and your behavior and your motive. Pure motives, loving heart, others-centered, self-sacrificing love, because you want the best for them too, and the best for us. And the best way to work on us is to start with me. In the Enneagram, uh, if you've studied that at all, they talk a lot about welcoming prayer when you're in a conversation or you're in a, a situation where you get kind of triggered, your emotions get high, welcome that emotion and ask God to teach you through what you're feeling in that moment. What are you trying to teach me right now? When you feel that defensiveness and, oh, Lord, I, Lord, I feel it all the time. I want to jump to the defensive. I always want to defend. When you feel that, what are you trying to teach me about me? Why do I feel this way? 
What's my motive? What's my motive? I, I just did this recently. I, I was writing a story about somebody and I'd let it go for a long time and I finally just had to sit them down and say, okay, I'm writing a story and I need to know if it's true. But before I did that, I prepped myself for a week. Okay, what do I need to own? What, what am I missing here? What are the facts? What am I, I, I had to prep my own heart. What was my motive? Simple, clear, con concise, ask the questions often in these tense moments. And our motives should always lead to restoration, redemption, and relationship. Revenge is not a fruit of the spirit. And if you are going into a crucial conversation, if you are in the middle of a crucial conversation and your motive is revenge, you are wrong. You are just wrong. That is not a fruit of the spirit. And it is not a healthy place to go into a conversation. People are more important than any problem. You return to that motive and you keep praying and connecting with the Holy Spirit while you're talking to them through the whole, you should be having two conversations in that conversation, the one here and the one here to make sure you're saying the right things. And if you fail the first time, go back again. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 18, keep going back, keep going back. You're not responsible for how they react, whether they accept or reject it. You are responsible to pursue them. And if it doesn't work this, the first time or the third time or the fourth time, then stop for a bit and then go back and engage again. Jesus says it at the end of, in Matthew 18, he says, Jesus says, treat them like a tax collector or a pagan, not a demon, not unredeemable, not cast them away. They're still worth the effort. Your words and how you use them are a window to your heart and a window into the heart of God. Our words and how we use them should sound like 1 Peter 3.11. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. And this peace doesn't happen because, because we argue or avoid. It happens when we prepare our hearts to engage in healthy communication. By checking our motives, keeping ourselves centered, exhibiting self-control, listening and obeying the Holy Spirit, and keeping the goals for ourselves, for the other, and our relationship in the forefront of our mind. Remember the series in May about worshiping our lives as worship, our lives should be worshiped. This is part of that. Living in that sacred space, that thin space, where you're as close to God as you possibly can, can be, that's where you should be when you're having a crucial conversation. How can your words restore, redeem, instruct, challenge, bring life to yourself, into your relationships, into the world that you live in? They shouldn't be used as a weapon. They should be used as a balm. As I said, I've been really convicted by the scripture and the Crucial Conversations book I am too free and loose with my words. I don't think nearly as hard about what I'm going to say before I say it. I don't pray enough before I go into a hard conversation or while I'm in the midst of it. And I'm going to do better. And I want to challenge you to do better. Because if our words showed the character of God's heart, 
we could change the world. And they would see him in us in beautiful and profound ways. What you say matters a lot. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, it has so, been so good to be in your presence today. Would you speak to each person in this room, to those that are watching online, Lord? Would you speak through us, Lord? I don't know how to, to say it any more emphatically. We need you. We need you to hold the reins and move the rudder. We need to be abiding deeply in you. We cannot do this outside of you and your spirit's work in our lives. Lord, I pray that each one of us is open to what you want to say specifically to us today and that we would ponder and process this deeply. Thank you for meeting us right where we need to be met because you know us so well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.